So I just have to really commend you guys at the 9 a.m. service for waking up today, looking out your window and going, yes, no, and you went, yes. Wow, you chose right. Amen. You're here. Good choice, good choice. Welcome again. We're expecting God to continue to do that deep work in us. And it doesn't matter what the weather's like, we are here for Jesus, amen? We are here for Him. We are here to draw life from Him. And, uh, and I just encourage you to be encouraged about what God is doing. As Nathan mentioned, you know, last weekend, Easter weekend, so many powerful things took place. And then also, if you were part of uh, what happened, you know that there was a service for David Holmes here last Monday. What a powerful event. This young man died tragically, and uh, God just touched hundreds of lives. There were over 500 people here. They all got touched in some way. And I'm encouraging you to continue to pray for the Holmes family. They're core people in our church and pray for their extended family and the relatives and all the people that came here uh, last Monday. And we'll just trust that God will continue to bring them into places of hope and healing and, and, and having a sense that God really is there for them as they reach out to him. And I do believe that today is a day of stepping into more hope and more awareness of, of us laying hold of the kind of life that God has for us. So we're going to get into our Bibles here right now. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30, and that's our main passage. I'm going to highlight three other chapters for you. You can bookmark them, and then you're ready to go when we read from there. Sometimes people wonder, you know, where is this in the Bible? We usually tell you up front at the beginning of the message so that you can get organized and be ready and have those pages marked. Use a bulletin or something, or if you're using electronic, you can do that. So here's the other three passages. Hebrews chapter 3. We'll just pull a couple verses out of there. James chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 12. But Deuteronomy 30 is where we're going first. We're looking at one of the most special passages in the Bible that has to do with saying yes to the kind of life that God wants us to have, the kind of life that God wants us to live. And this is an incredible passage of Scripture given to a new generation of people who were getting ready to head into their destiny and their future. They were at a point where they had to make some choices in life, and so Moses gathers them together, and I'm going to read what Moses said to them. Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning at verse 11. Words are on the screen too reading out of the New King James Version. For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. In your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But... If your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. 
I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life. And the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord your, uh, swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Let me just emphasize what God has said here. I have set before you death and life, therefore choose life. Choose life. After 40 years of wandering in the desert, the people of God are now positioned to go into their new future. There's a lot at stake here. Moses is nearing the end of his life. He's about 120 years old now. That's pretty old. So if you're 40, it's times three. If you're 60, it's times two. If you're 20, it's times six. He's a really old guy, well-loved, uh, well-revered and honored. And Moses gathers the children of Israel around him for like one last big sermon. And it's a long one. I mean, it starts around uh, chapter 27 or so, and it goes all the way to chapter 32, five chapters of this powerful message from Moses. Then he sings a song to them for a whole chapter, chapter 33, and, and, the, and the whole message is basically this, get ready because God wants to take you forward. It's time to be prepared. After 40 years of wandering in the desert, a previous generation had to die off because they didn't believe they could go into the promised land. Apparently, God does not put up with unbelief. Did you know that? Yeah. Do you know that unbelief is a sin? It's a sin. It's an offense to God to not believe in Him. It's not just neutral, like, oh, I just don't believe. God's like, I'm offended. I created this place. You're, you're drinking my water, breathing my air, and you don't believe in me. I made you. Like, come on. And there's evidence in creation that God exists, so people are without excuse, according to Romans. God does not put up with unbelief very well. And it's what keeps his people even from laying hold of what God has for them. So now the kids of these parents are in the, the, the wilderness there. They're in Moab. They're lining up on the other side of the river. They're looking across to the promised land, and they're going, we're supposed to be there. Our parents could have been there, but they stopped short. They didn't go for it all. And this is a game-changing moment for this new generation. So Moses brings the word to them, chapters 27 to 32, and he just crushes it. Boom. Come on, he's saying. And he lays out for them some important things like this. He's saying, you got choices to make. You're old enough now to go into the promised land. You've got a choice to make. You don't have to hold back like your mom and dad did. You can go further and, and onward into your destiny. And if you don't, you're going to miss out. Moses reminds the people that they need to keep renewing the covenant. And whenever you see that going on in Scripture, it's a reminder to us, even in the New Testament times, that we are all about a continuous renewal, right? It never ends. Continuous renewal that leads to revival that never ends. Renewal never ends. Renewal is not an end in itself. We don't get renewed and stop and then go, now we're back to normal life. No, we continue to step into more and more and more and more of God's great agenda for us in His great adventure. Moses is reminding the people about that. And he says to them, oh, by the way, do you remember this in the wilderness? Your shoes didn't wear out and your clothes didn't wear out for 40 years? See if you can get a deal like that at the mall. 
40-year guarantee. You know, you buy a pair of runners, you wear them for 40 years, like I want a new pair. You didn't need that back then. Your, your shoes never wore out. Your clothes never fell apart. But now the time has come for these young families to make some big decisions, big choices about their lives. It's a game-changing moment for them. Same is true for us all. It's time for us to choose life. you got to choose life. You don't just, you know, kind of by osmosis get it. You choose life. And God has given you and he's given me every opportunity to have an incredible life, but we have to make decisions for it. And what's on the line is our destiny, our future, our health, our sense of well-being. Also, the way our kids turn out, that's on the line. Our economic viability, our impact in this world, our sense of peace and hope, all of that is on the line here in this issue of choice. It's really the difference between life and death, blessings and curses, favor and futility. In fact, you want to flip back to chapter 28. I want to highlight that for you. You should read it this afternoon. I challenge some of you. Read Deuteronomy 28 this afternoon. The curses and blessings that come to people depending on their response. If you walk like this, God says, I'll bless you. I'll bless you in the city. I'll bless you in the country. I'll bless you in Airdrie. Application. But if you walk like this, into curses and, and, and away from God, then all these calamities will come upon you. You choose, he's saying. You choose. You want to go this way or do you want to go this way? You get to choose. All of that is in God's word for a purpose. And what we're going to look at today is some mind-bending truths that come out of this little chunk of scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And the first one is this. God gives us the power of choice. Who would have thought that God would put that capacity within us. It's staggering to me that God would entrust us with that gift. He makes us in his own image. God who is so much greater than us, so much beyond us in terms of power and majesty and glory. God makes us creatures that have certain talents and abilities, but he puts into our lives the ability to make moral choices. Not all created things have that. Your dog can't make moral choices. Well, your cat wouldn't make moral choices. <laughs> your fish don't make moral choices. But you're made in the image of God. So you can reason. You can test out things. You can go, oh, maybe this or maybe that. God's like, hey, I made you that way. What are you going to choose? I've given you the power to make choices. And all of that puts everything on the line. You get to decide if the pathway that you are on will lead to life or to death. And there's only two pathways, right? There's only two options, the pathway that leads to life or the pathway that leads to destruction. You get to choose that. See, God did not create us to be robotic, massly produced expressions of artificial intelligence or AI. By the way, AI is on the rise. You know that, right? You know, the poets always paint the picture for us. They're the prophetic voice in broader culture. So the movies that you see, are, they're teasers of what's coming up in the next 50 years, right? Artificial intelligence is on the way. And, uh, you know, South Korea is leading the revolution here. They said during the Olympics, I don't know if you saw this, but they were basically boasting, saying, we're going to lead the whole artificial intelligence revolution. They just want to embrace it. They want to have robots you know, doing stuff at home and at work and just kind of just embrace all that AI stuff. <laughs> and, 
You know, there's evidence to, to tell us that even in the workplace, artificial intelligence programs are now, quote, better than human HR managers. I don't believe that, but they're saying the evidence is coming in that talking to a robot is actually quite endearing. Here's the thing, though. You can get a lot of well-programmed stuff out of a robot, but you can never get the power of moral and spiritual choice out of something artificial. Only humans, us, made in the image of God, imago Dei, only we have that capacity. And God goes to great lengths to heighten the conversation with his people that day related to that. And so he says, I am calling heaven and earth as witnesses in this moment. Actually, he says, witnesses against you that I have set before you two paths, life or death. Choose one. Choose one. And when you make that choice, so goes your life. It's like God is looking for and waiting for anyone who will take him seriously on this and trust him for the life he wants to bless us with. Speaking about this life that he wants to bless us with, we're talking about something here that is awesome. And I want to connect Deuteronomy chapter 30 with the fulfillment that Jesus brought into this world. But before I do that, I want to ask you a question. How do we take in a teaching like this? This is, you know, an Old Testament passage and someone might say, well, that's really kind of quaint, isn't it? There's all this law stuff there. Like, what do we do with this stuff? Just kind of like get amused by it and just lay it aside? No, this is the written word of God we're talking about here. And all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. All scripture. So God is speaking to us out of Deuteronomy 30, but we're not Old Testament people, right? We're not Old Testament people. So aren't you glad that you don't need to bring a goat down to the local church, slit its throat, throw its blood on an altar, and have a priest wave something over you and say, you're good, go home. Yeah, no more goats. Aren't you glad that you don't have to call the priest when there's mold in your basement? And he says, get out of the house. And your whole family's got to get out in the middle of winter. He's like, get out of your house. You can't be in a moldy house. Aren't you glad that you don't live in those times when, when the law was, was just everything. You just had to obey all these commandments and everything, and nobody could live up to it perfectly. Aren't you glad that you're not an Old Testament believer? Do you know how much we've inherited since those guys' times? Wow! We are stepping into an amazing destiny on the other side of the cross. So what God is saying here in Deuteronomy 30, there are principles that apply across the divide from Old Testament to New, and the principle is the same. Choose life, not death. Choose life. Choose blessings, not curses. All of that gets fulfilled in the new covenant. And we know from Scripture that when the people of God came out of Egypt, which they were in slavery there for 400 years, that represents to us on the other side of the cross, that represents the journey out of sin. Let's call it salvation. The deliverance from Egypt is like our salvation experience. We were in bondage, we were slaves, we had no identity. God calls us out, just like he took the people out with Moses, took them out of uh, that horrendous experience, brought them to himself, made them into a nation, gave them a worship tabernacle. Now they know the Lord. Now they are defined by his presence. They are saved. They've come out of Egypt. And then the entrance into the promised land, which happens years later, represents not going to heaven, but bringing heaven down to earth. 
It's the promised land experience. It, it represents for us, this side of the cross, the victorious life of the believer. We're already saved. We've already come out of sin. We've already come out of Egypt. We already know that, that, that you know, God has miraculously delivered us. Now, there's an inheritance to lay hold of. There, there's blessing in store for us. There's something to live for, not just to live from. That's called sanctification. The life of fullness in the presence of God. That's what it is. It's the, it's the believer's inheritance that is received ultimately in heaven, but it begins to be received in this life. And all of that is what Jesus was referring to when he said in John 10, 10, I have come that they might have life more abundantly. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. An abundant life. A powerful life. A good life. A life of blessing. This is what he offers to us. But we have to choose that. Now, don't get lost on this here. I'm talking to believers here. You have to choose the abundant life. You're already saved if you know Jesus, but you have to make choices about going further, about, about going into your inheritance and laying hold of it now. God won't make that choice for you. God's not going to give you the promised land without you journeying with him into it. You've got to come along, right? You've got to step into your destiny. The writer of Hebrews clarifies all this for us, and it refers to all of what I'm talking about here in the promised land as an experience of rest. Let me just highlight a couple verses. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 18. To whom did he swear, that is God, that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. All right, so unbelief will keep a believer from laying hold of their full inheritance. Are you with me? Say amen if you are. All right, we're good. All right, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering into his rest, let us fear lest any of you... Who's he talking to? Christians, believers. Lest any of you, you're already saved... Any of you seem to have come short of it. And he goes on from there, down to verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Come on, believers. Come on, be diligent, he's saying. We ought to enter. There's more for us. Enter into that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. The writer of Hebrews is linking that passage to the book of Deuteronomy and Exodus and all of that. There is an abundant life in store for us after we have come to know Jesus. There's more for you, more of God's blessing upon your life, more than you ever dreamed of. There's fullness of life. There's divine favor. There's an increase that you can have of, of knowing God, of anointing in the Spirit, of fulfilling your kingdom destiny. And it's to be realized in this life. You see, it's not just about going to heaven. I can't wait to go to heaven. I fully expect to be there one day. But there's a lot I want to see happen in this life. I, I'm, I'm thankful I'm still alive, that I get to experience certain things. But I have to choose them. God has given you and given me every opportunity to have an incredible life, but we have to choose it. Do you want to walk in deeper peace? you got to choose it. You mean I don't just sit on the floor and just wait till it lands on me? We well, can try that. Might happen once in a while. God's really gracious, but generally, he's like, do you want it? Are you hungry for it? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Is that the first priority of your life? Is, is that what you're devoted to, to making sure happens? 
seeking the kingdom? Do you want to walk in greater power and anointing from the Spirit? You've got to choose that. Do you want to walk in more wisdom, greater wisdom, having more, more blessing in your life in the way that you relate to people or in your career? You have to choose that. God has given us the power of choice. And I love that passage, Joshua 24, 15. You know, he, he's looking ahead into the future for himself, and he says, you know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's his choice. Joshua, the guy that succeeded Moses, going into the promised land, gets going in there, and he says, I'll let you all know where I stand right now. As for me, as for me and my tribe, everybody under my roof, we will serve the Lord. That's what we're going to do. And a challenge to all you fathers here is to be vocal on those things, to say out loud in your living room, whenever you need to say it, as for me and this house and everybody here, we will serve the Lord. There's not a question about that. It's not a debate. It's not something that we just say, well, what do you think? I'm just empowering you to make your decision as a kid. Well, yeah, some of that's part of the developmental process, but really, the role of the father is this. I declare over our house, we will serve God in this house, period, period. That's what we're going to do. That's how we live here. And so we bring ourselves into alignment with that, with that revelation of what God wants to do for us. Some of you maybe are looking back over your life and you're wondering, how did I get where I am? How did this happen to me? Maybe you're not really satisfied with your life. I've gone through phases like that. Hey, you're not satisfied with your job or with your circumstances or the people that you're with. And maybe, maybe if you were honest, you'd say, I'm not so satisfied with my spouse. Hmm. And you might be wondering, you know, God, why did you give me this spouse? Why did you choose this spouse for me? And God's like, no, you chose that spouse for you. Yeah, but God, if I would have known that they'd be like this 20 years ago, I would have made a different decision. God's saying to you, I was trying to get your attention, but you didn't hear me. So I let you make the choice. Now let's make it better. Divorce is not an option. Not an option. Cut it off. No Throw it off the table. Divorce is not an option. God wants to make your marriage blessed, and he can, and you can start claiming that over you. There are two extremes on the issue of choice. One is this. God doesn't care at all what we choose. He's got no opinion. He's like, go ahead. It's all up to you. Do whatever you want, and he doesn't really want to stop us from anything or intervene. That's one extreme. The other is this. I'm afraid to make any choices. I want God to make all my choices. Both are incorrect. God wants us to own the fact that we are created in his image and we can make choices and we will make choices. And it's our choices to make. But ultimately as well, he wants to come around our decisions. He wants to help us. He wants to bless us. He wants to give us wisdom so that when we choose, we go, yeah, that is the right choice for me. Are you with me on that? So God's not going to take away all your responsibility and you might say, well, you know, God should have intervened and stopped me from the choices I made 30 years ago. Well, maybe he was trying, but you just couldn't hear. And life goes on. Maybe you haven't heard his voice for a long time. He talks about that in that passage, that you would hear the voice of the Lord and you would cling to him. Then you know what he's saying to you. Think about how important it is that you choose the right spouse. I often tell people this, there's three big choices in life that you got to get right. Number one, you choose to follow Christ. Number one, first big decision. Number two, second most biggest decision in your life, choose the right spouse. Third decision, choose the right career. Do it in that order. Careers will change. 
Your spouse won't change. They're going to be with you. Till death do you part, right? That's the vow. Choose to follow Jesus. Choose the right spouse. Choose the right career. If you seek God for wisdom on that and you make choices that are based in his will, you're going to have a blessed life. You're going to have a really, really blessed life. You want to get those things right. Verse 19, I've set before you life and death, blessings and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Right? Choose life. Choose the pathway that God says, I'm in this pathway. If you join me here, as you take footsteps and go forward, you're going to see how good it is. It's going to make sense. It's going to work out. Things will be in your favor. Choose life. But there's something else he's given us here uh, in order to live an abundant life. He's also given us another gift, the power of speech. Look at verse 14. It says, but the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. That's a kind of puzzling passage to me. The word is very near you. The word, what word? The word of God. The word is near you. It's in your heart, in your mouth that you may do it. You and I have choices to make about what we say and what comes out of our mouths because apparently, according to God's book, your words, hear me on this, they shape your destiny. Do you know that words are really powerful? You know, in your lifetime, I just researched this. One expert says this, and he backs it up with scientific data. He says, in an average lifetime, the average person will speak 860.3 million words. That's if you live to be a certain age, right? 860.3 million words. I did a little bit more research to find out, well, who speaks more words, men or women? What do you think? How, how many words a day does the average guy speak? Anybody know? Really close, Marty. Really, yes, 7,000 is what I saw, so same thing. Seven, 8,000 words a day, the average guy. I'm thinking, that's more than I need to speak. I'm like good with about 500. Like seriously, I don't want to speak 7,000 words. I don't have that much to say. The average woman, though, speaks uh, in an average day a little bit more. Do you know how much more? 20,000 words. So about three times as much. So women speak three times as much as men on average. The way that God made them is not bad. It's good. They're made in His image. They're more talkative than men. So what are the challenges here in the area of words? Well, application might be this. For men... You might need to speak more, right? There might be more that you need to rise to, to say with your mouth. Why? Because your words shape your destiny. For women, you might need to speak less. Maybe, maybe, just saying maybe, you know, because your words will shape your destiny, maybe. And, you know, all of this kind of plays out in the way we do real life here. We are given this incredible gift of using words to shape how our lives go. There's enormous impact because of that. Look at this verse, Proverbs 18.21. I love this verse. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Did you get that? Isn't it awesome? Death and life are in the power of your tongue, my tongue, those who love it will eat its fruit. Those who love what? Whichever choice you make. 
If you love life, you're going to speak words of life. If you are anchored towards death, you're going to speak words of death. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And that's the correct order, death and life. Only one translation says it, life and death. That's NIV, and they got it wrong. (laughs) Uh, But it's death and life. And I think that's important to underscore. Why is that? Well, isn't it true that the propensity with our mouths is to say stuff that isn't good? Death first. We have to choose not to talk like that, but we have to choose to speak words of life. I think that's what the writer of Proverbs is getting at. The default switch is towards the words that lead to death. It's speaking words that contribute to an unhealthy experience. Words of harshness, negativity, gossip, slander, complaining. Do you know what God did with a whole nation of people who complained? Yeah, and then he said to them, you're not coming into the promised land. You're going to die off in the wilderness. Because in the book of Numbers, they complained. They complained about this and they complained about that, complained about the food and complained about the water and complained about the leadership. And God's like, I'm, I'm done. Done with you guys. You'll die off. Your kids, we're going to start over with them. They're going to go further. They're going to take the promised land. They're going to make it theirs. And the power of speech will shape our destinies towards that. You have been given the power of speech. James says this, chapter 3, My brethren, my brothers, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So you want to teach people? Stakes are higher. Your life needs to be under a microscope. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire a world of iniquity. The tongue is also set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. This is not poetry. Set on fire by hell. So I'm thinking there are are hellish words in this world, aren't there? There are words that come, their origin is hell. They come up and in and through mouths that will not choose life. They'll come up through speech in human beings that are not anchored to God. Hellish words. And then it says this, verse 7, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed, and it has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And I would say, in light of that, no man can tame the tongue, no woman can tame the tongue, but the Holy Spirit can tame the tongue. Through the strength of the Holy Spirit, our speech can become words that lead to life and blessing. So we just have to understand the power of our words. You are communicators of powerful things when you're using words. How are you at choosing that power that God has given to you? Some of you are really good at blessing people with your words. You're you're great at encouragement and affirmation. Some of you call out the best in people. You speak prophetic words to people and they, they land on them and they go, wow, thank you so much for 
that. I sensed God in that when you gave that word to me. Others of you are offering words of knowledge from the Holy Spirit. God just shows you stuff and you say, I'm just going to give you a word of knowledge. Would you, would you test it out? And when it works, it's, it's incredibly awesome. I had that experience happen, how God used me one day. It was actually at a soul care conference in Boston and was with a group of people and we got into triads and I didn't know everybody. I was with these two other uh, people, two women, and one was from Long Island, didn't know her. And we're supposed to listen to God and give words. And I'm like, all right, I'll try that. So I'm listening to God and praying for this woman. I forget her name. And I uh, just felt God maybe said to me that, you know, heaven was boasting of her, that she was beautiful, that she had a beautiful robe on, and, and that Jesus was boasting of her intimate relationship with just him. So if the time came for me to share that with her, I said, I just, here's what I got. I don't know if it makes sense. And she falls. She just weeps. This is a woman who had just come through her divorce, and she'd come to the point in her life where she said, I'm going to be single the rest of my life. She's like 42, and she said, I don't need a husband. She said, Jesus is my husband. She'd already just made that covenant with the Lord just days before coming to the conference, and God was giving her that word of knowledge to say, I heard you. I heard you. You're beautiful. You're my royal princess. When it works right, it's awesome. When words are given to build us up, we do get encouraged. But there are people who struggle with words that come out of their mouths that criticize and tear down and hurt people and words of anger and rage and words that cast shame and condemnation. And I think for some people in our culture, uh, Christians might even struggle with unclean speech. Let me use the vernacular, swearing. They might struggle with that. I, I understand that. Some of it's environmental in the sense of you're hanging around with people at work and the whole work environment's just toxic language and you're doing your best, but you know, every now and then there's an occasional slip. I understand that. I, I get that. I've lived in that real world too. But it's when we get to the point where we don't repent of the occasional slips. And, and we, it's when we get to the point of, of actually enjoying saying certain words that come out of our mouth and, and we're kind of just dropping these bombs everywhere. And, you know, we say, oh, it's no big deal. It's just me. Well, no, it's not you. It's not the identity that Jesus has for you. And really what's going on is that when we have unclean speech coming out of our mouths, that's a reflection of our soul. It means something's disconnected there from our identity because our real identity is, is a person made in the image of Christ who will speak good words and words that bless others and not words that will bring shame or disrepute upon his reputation. John Newton, the slave trader who later got converted, wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. He had a foul mouth. And one of the evidences of a changed life for John Newton was he stopped swearing. And it was a big deal for him. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupt word come out of your mouth. Can I say that again? Let no corrupt word come out of your mouth. Why is that so important? It's because our words are shaping our pathways. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. So I want to choose words that are on the pathway of life. And if you're struggling, I don't know, it's possible that you're struggling with unclean speech. And I get I understand it. We're living in a fallen world. Environments are toxic. I get it. When we're tired, I get all that. But you know, the reality is there's a tree growing inside of you. And it's either a good tree or a not good tree. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12. 
Verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. Choose. You want to have a good tree growing in you or a bad tree? For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Oh, so it's actually a heart issue. Yeah! Yes, 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 yes. It's actually a heart issue, not really a lip issue. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that, that for every idle word that men may speak, they will give account of it on the day of judgment. I have 860 million words coming out of my mouth. And God's got a measuring stick for all of those words. And he's like, okay, um, we'll put these in this category. Are you aware that that's what came out of your mouth? Sorry, Lord. <laughs> okay. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. How many of you have met people that are proclaiming over themselves, they're prophesying over themselves, a destiny of doom, a life of depravity and, and shame and problems and heaviness and hardship and lack and, and, and everything else. Out of their mouth, their heart is speaking. We have choices to make about what comes out of our mouth. And so think about that as you, as you speak to your friends today. As you text people, because that's also a form of words. As you text people, what, what's coming out of you? As you email people, as you social media people, what are you saying over people? What are you saying over your spouse? What are you saying over your kids? What are you saying over your own self? I have to do this every day, every single day of my life. I do my daily office. The word office is Latin for work for God. I do my daily surrender to God. And I quote scripture over me. I proclaim it out loud. I, I pray blessings over my family, over this church, over our elders, over our staff, over people that are going through crisis. I just walk into it every single day, and I declare God's favor over me. It takes a while. I can't live without that. My mind gets messed up too easily, too quickly. The abundant life that Jesus offers us takes some effort. Salvation is a gift, right? It's free, you can't earn it. Salvation is a gift. But maturity is costly. You want more of God? You've got to pay a price, right? You've got to think about decisions, choices, values that you have. I have to choose my words with wisdom. God has given each of us an incredible opportunity for an amazing life, but we've got to choose it. Finally, God has given us also the gift of himself. He doesn't just leave us with the power of speech and the power of choice. He's going to say, I'm going to give you an even better gift. I'm going to give you me. I'm going to let you have me. Verse 20, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life. He's your life. God is saying, there's only life in me. There's not life anywhere else. People are living for a time. They're ticking time bombs. They're their destinies are shaped by what they do in this life. There's only real life in me, in knowing me, in having me, in abiding in me. It's not just something you get when this life is over. Some people settle for that. They think as believers, oh, I can't really expect too much and I'll get it all in heaven. No, no, actually you can expect a lot in this life and more in heaven. So lean into that. You know, what did we settle for along the way? 
Some people say, well, I'm just not having a very good life and I'll just call it suffering. Well, you know when you're suffering for Jesus, there's still joy. There's still peace. Yeah, it hurts. Hurts like hell, yes. Still joy, still peace, still purpose in it, still clinging to the Lord. Apart from that, what you're going through maybe isn't suffering. Maybe it's just self-imposed heartache. Are you saying that some Christians live substandard lives in the kingdom? Mm-hmm. It's exactly what I'm saying. I was one of them. I was one of them who lived several years without walking into the promised land of God's fullness. And I think God is saying to many of us, there's a lot more hope than you realize in me. There's a lot more joy in me. There's a lot more freedom in me that you didn't have. There's a lot more purpose in me that you didn't lay hold of. There's a lot more fullness in me. The kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, right? That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. And we have an inheritance to lay hold of in this life, and it gets ultimately poured into us when we meet with Jesus face to face. But even in this life, we're to lay hold of that. And I don't know of a better book in the Bible to, to send you to for a later reading than Ephesians. When you look at Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 3, and Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, starts laying this stuff out. He's saying, come on, guys. Come on. There's an inheritance for you. There's, there, there's the fullness of God that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. How many of you want that? But you've got to choose it. God's going to say, you know what, if you don't want it, I'm not giving it to you. But if you choose it, and if you chase it, and if you pursue it with all of your heart in surrender to Jesus, the Holy Spirit will bring it your way. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Love that. Rob Raymer, a friend of this house, said this way, you can have as much of God as you want and as much as you're willing to pay a price for. Oh. Bring it on. Bring it on, Rob. Worship team, come up here and join me. I'd love you to do that. So there's three reasons, I think, why believers live a substandard kingdom life. Can I give them to you quickly? Number one, I think some of them just don't know about these things. They weren't taught these things in their church. They didn't realize that there was an abundant life beyond just getting your sins forgiven, that there was this fullness experience that Jesus promises, which comes to us through his spirit. They just didn't know about it. You know, for lack of knowledge, God's people perish, right? It's horrible. Secondly, there may be people who've had wounds or hurts or sinful patterns in their lives, and, and they just can't dare to risk opening up, and they won't open up, and they won't let go of things, and they're holding on to stuff, and it's all there. It's a barrier in the way, and they won't get into the promised land. And then thirdly, there's a reason that goes like this. People just don't know about the abundance that the Holy Spirit brings to their life. They don't know about the filling. They don't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit experience. They don't know how rich that is. And so they go on in life thinking, I just got to put up with it all. Friends, there's more. There's more. We're talking about heaven intersecting earth. We're talking about God's joy being upon us. We're talking about walking with no fear, no shame, no secrets. We're talking about walking in confidence in the Lord, not arrogance, but confidence as we humbly serve everyone around us. His fullness 
brings that overflow into our lives. And I hear God saying to us, therefore, choose life. Choose life in me. The Bible says, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Choose me, Lord is saying. Choose me. Ask me for fullness. Put your heart into that ask. Ask me for freedom. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. I'll give you a promised land experience. I'll take that yoke off you, that heavy yoke. I'll give you my light yoke. But you've got to choose it. You're a believer. You've got to choose it. You've got to want it. Some of you might need to make choices about what you do with your will. The kind of decisions you need to make. Some of you need to make choices about your words and your speech. Others of us need to make choices about that intimate relationship with Jesus. We can tap into that abundant life that flows from within through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, when we surrender to Him in all these areas, we get life to the full. Life overflowing. And I want to lead you in a prayer moment for that this this morning. So I'm just going to ask you to just take this moment in with me as we seek God together. Whatever you need to talk to the Lord about, go ahead and whisper to Him. It might be about God wanting to give you something new in the area of your speech. He wants to strengthen your will to make good, wise choices. Some of you might want to be asking Him for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. In fact, your whole destiny is really on the line until you're filled. So I want to invite you to ask Him for whatever you need. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that an awakening would happen today on this cold Sunday. An awakening that lights fires of renewal that are continuous, that never stop. I pray, God, that you would bless your people. Bless us as we lean into you, Lord, as we say yes to you. I pray, Lord, for destinies to be shaped right now. I pray that directions would be given from heaven to surrendered souls right in this room. I pray, God, for for strength, for freshness. I pray, God, for the pathway that leads to life to be the pathway of everyone here this morning. So, Lord, I'm saying I choose it. I choose it. I choose it right now. 